Okay, so um, hi everybody. It's it's, um, it's uh, Sasha Stone here with AwardsDaily.com, and we're, we're we're having a very special meeting with two uh, filmmakers from the movie Spree, which um, which you know in a different year I think could have captured the zeitgeist, but I feel like it's uh, with COVID and everything, it kind of just sort of you know came and and sort of went to streaming and, and people aren't really talking about it that much. Anyway, I'm here with the director, Eugene Kotlerenko, and the co-writer, Jean McHugh, and um, Clarence, also the editor, part editor of awardsdaily.com. So I just wanted to give a quick uh, intro if you haven't seen Spree. Um, Spree is like one of the funniest movies I've ever seen, one of the strangest and funniest and weirdest movies. And you can get, it, it is a... I think a perfect film because it never betrays its theme. It never wimps out on what it's trying to say. I'm not sure where to look. <laughs> what, what do I look at? Um, okay, so it it it, uh, it we live through a time. I think we live in a time where um, art is kind of. Uh, directed at selling a message that, and that message usually has to be kind of aligned with how we want to see the world as opposed to how the world really is. But the best movies don't do that. The best movies and the best uh, writing um, and the best art, frankly, uh, look looks at life with a unflinching eye and tells the truth. And I, I feel like this movie, as, as strange as it is, it, it really does capture um, something in 2020 that I think people probably aren't realizing now, but at some point, they'll look back, like, you know, RoboCop, you guys are young, so, like, I'm old enough to remember Ro RoboCop was a movie that came out and, like, you know, people kind of got the satire of it, but as time went on, they started to get it more and more. Dr. Strangelove, one of your favorite movies, is another one like that. Um, certainly, network continues to resonate, and I feel like if you capture your moment and you do it right, even if people are maybe a little bit put off by it, um, it if it tells the truth and it's authentic and, uh, you know, it's, it's brutal, this movie, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's very graphically violent, just FYI. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to, to meet you guys and to talk to you and to tell everybody watching this to watch the movie and then talk to me about it. Cause I want to hear what you think. Um, I, I just want to get right off, off the bat before we start that I love the way the movie begins. I've seen it four times now. My daughter loves it. She's seen it twice. She went to move to New York. She's showing it to all her friends and she's 22. And she feels like it gets her generation so well. And you guys, to, to, tell it, to show it to a 22 year old who watches a lot of YouTube and to have it resonate and not feel um, fake or like an adult is trying to write the comments, you know, and, and uh, you guys just get it so right. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. I love the beginning how he's like, I'm going to try, <laughs> he's like, so Spree is like, it's, it starts out with Kurt Kunkel played by um, Joe Keery, uh, Joe Keery, who's like a huge Stranger Things star. And like all the Stranger Things fans have glommed onto this movie, which I think is great because it, ha it has an audience because of that, really. But, um, but he starts out as this guy, he's like, he's talking to you. So you've got three realities going on. You've got actual reality, and then you've got the one he's trying to show you. And then within the movie, there is, you know, there are all these other realities that are also presenting themselves, like Bobby Basecamp, who's, who's his competitor, um, who has a better and more popular YouTube channel, who is kind of giving people what they want, 
right? And, and poor Kurt Kunkel can't. He's not capable of it. First of all, he's a man out of time. He's a white guy and nobody cares. And secondly, he's just not, dy- he's dynamic because he's Joe Curie, but he's not dynamic in the movie as the character. Anyway, so he's like, his, the first thing he says is something like, I'm going to try to tell, <laughs> tell my story honestly, like everybody does now. And then he tells this bizarre little story about how his family moves to Azusa, his mom gets really depressed, and he's shut in with his mom, <laughs> and then he starts playing video games. It's like, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> you know? Anyway, I'm talking enough, so let's move on to the next thing, Clarence. No, so- I mean... I think the opening of the movie is um, really informative in a way, the genesis of that opening. It's not something that Gene and I wrote into the script. Um, It actually, the thing you're talking about, which is a sort of video meme called Draw My Life, where people present their biographical details in very mundane and often oblivious um, extreme ways. Um, is an exercise that um, Joe and myself and our social media consultant, Honor, did together to help Joe figure out the backstory of the Kurt Kunkel character. And then as we went into pre-production and production, we used that as sort of like a reference point for a lot of the department heads to sort of not only understand where Kurt's coming from, but also like the tone of the film, right? Because the second or third thing he talks about in the film after talking about how he moved to Azusa was 9-11 happened. And like, you know, it's a a seminal (laughs) formative event for someone who's in their early to mid twenties, you know, Um, in a way that's almost subconsciously uh, formative, right? Because they're so young. And Mm -hmm. so he sees all the attention that went to that horrific act and even though it might not be true or was staged, he'll never forget how many people care about 9-11. I mean, you know, so that sort of dark sense of humor, um, I think really helped the department heads and the actors understand sort of the tone of the film. And then when we got into the edit, we realized this is a great way to have viewers enter the world of Kirk Kunkel um, and not just like an exercise that we sort of throw in the scrap heap. So. Um, you know, you can't really ever tell. I mean, the, the scripting, the, the writing of this movie with, with Gene was a really, you know, evolutionary process. I mean, it took us several years. We had one, wow. direction, that we, we had one direction that we were initially going in, which was going to be a sort of, it was always supposed to be funny and brutal, but it was going to be a brutal takedown of actually the alt-right and uh, the sort of, you know, kind of white supremacist ideology. And then um, when Trump, then we started writing it before Trump even won because we saw that that was looming, this sort of horrific, um, you know, ideology was looming into the mainstream. And then when he did win, it felt bad to put out sort of violent imagery associated with that ideology, even if it was about taking it down and making fun of it and whatever. So we kind of stepped away from it. And, you know, we would just sort of check in with each other and we had done, and Gene had had this great idea of a minimalist horror film about a rideshare driver going out, super scary, claustrophobic, killing people, you know, and we thought it was going to be about this one thing. Why was he doing it, you know, to whatever his ideology. And then we sort of, after a few years, we just kept revisiting and came up and said, well, maybe he's just doing it for attention, you know, <laughs> like that's why all of these mass murderers ultimately do what they do, whether they have an ideology or an idea or a 
whatever of screed or not. They're just doing it to be the center of attention, just like the rest of us on social media. Do whatever the fuck we do to be the center of attention of our narrative. And um, that's kind of where it all came from, in a way. So now that we're talking about the beginning, one question that sort of, as I finished watching the film, I'm going to try to be as spoiler free as possible because I do want people to experience this and enjoy this completely carte blanche. There's a lot of great surprises in it. And so I, I don't want to spoil anything, but there is one thing that happens that you find out about toward the end of the film that is not foreshadowed, but it happens off screen toward the beginning. It's when he's assembling the cameras in his car and then he goes back to, uh, he forgets to take the trash out or something for, with, for his mother. He goes back and has a conversation with his mother. We find out later some other things have happened off camera. Oh. And so that made me think, does, what was, do you, do you think it's the film's position or do you want the viewers to decide this for themselves? Kurt was sort of bad from the beginning or do you think social media made him that way? Do you think he was, it, he had it inherent within him to take that giant leap, to, to go on this path that he does? Or do you think, you know, maybe he had the breadcrumbs of that and social media just, just peppered it and gave him that, that sort of heft to go forward and, and commit these crimes? I think it's both, personally. Um, I think that, yeah, by having him, like, do this monstrous thing, um, he it establishes the fact that he actually is, like, a deeply like disturbed guy because there was like a fine line we were writing between him being kind of like a hero in a way um and by the end like as you're watching the movie a lot of people say that they're, they're rooting for him you know that he's killing people and, and it's kind of like fun but i think like especially by the end we wanted to make it clear that um as funny as this is there's like a really like troubled soul here uh kind of like underlying like all these like wild antics but I mean social media like really like gave him like that outlet um, to to go for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the film is a satire, right? And oftentimes sure. I think characters in satires are almost like fully formed when you arrive. You know, they, they're archetypal in a way. And one thing that I love about satires, and it kind of goes to what you were talking about earlier, Sasha, is like in the moment, it feels offensive to the people who are watching it in the culture because it's such a attack and assault on what you know a, a viewpoint of our contemporary moment is. But then when you yeah. watch a movie uh, like RoboCop or like Doctor Strangelove, I mean RoboCop is a weird example because it's supposed to sci-fi, so it's place <laughs> in the future or something, you know. But you look back. And it's like, wow, that's what 1989 must have felt like. That's what 1964 in America under the, after the Cuban Missile Crisis must have felt like. You know, at the time, it seems like absurd and extreme. But then you look back on it, and it, it ends up becoming a more accurate encapsulation of, of sort of moments of extremeness or hysteria that, um, you know, how we understand history. So I, I do think that, you know, spree... Um, if it continues to grow in sort of reputation and the people who champion it continue to champion it will feel strangely accurate, even though it's extreme, you know, and um, it's, it's, it, it is amazing how 
in terms of like characters who are good and bad, I remember Alfred Hitchcock saying that one of his, his observations about humans was that they, um, they root for the guy, Norman Bates, even though they know he's a murderer, they root for him to push the, to, for the car to sink into the swamp. It's just human nature to root for the person that you see. So you're watching this and you're hoping that in some sick way, <laughs> you are hoping that Kurt gets whatever it is he wants and needs. And that changes throughout the movie, which is just, I just have to say, like, from a filmmaking perspective, this movie is so revolutionary. I know there have been a lot of movies that have been done through different mediums, like Instagram or, well, not really Instagram, but you know what I mean. Like, they, they you know, employ the, the sort of the technological methods that, that people like my daughter are engaged in all the time. But he, they use so many different things. You use, like, a, a, cam a computer camera to film. I think you use a cell phone and you're using GoPros in the car. Um, and I saw the van, by the way. I watched it to watch yeah, yeah. for the van. The, and I think I saw it in one of the shots. I, I, I do think I might have seen it uh, in a shot or two. Really? Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> it's okay, another... you, know, you know, shooting this film um, was a bit like, I would imagine, not as sophisticated, but kind of like shooting Jaws or a film you shoot on the water. Because there were eight cameras in the car. It, they, they were all capturing 360 degrees, right? And so while we were, and Joe was driving, I would say more than 70% of the time, he was driving around 70% of the time. So we would have to hide the van on the road while still kind of, um, you know, following the preordained route or occasionally leading Joe on a route. Um, so we tried our best to have the van occasionally behind, <laughs> to the left, to the right, in front, so that depending on, you know, which footage we ended up using in the cut, um, it wouldn't be like consistently like a big white van right behind the car every single scene. Um, but Eagle, well, you know, anyone watches the movie four times is going to see some goofs. I, I know it's, it's taken me a really long time to get everything. And because the first time I watched it, I was just like, what is this movie? Because I, it kind of came onto streaming. I heard it was at Sundance. I saw the reviews and I was like, these people are not like getting this movie at all. And I watched it and uh, I didn't even notice how hilarious. And you've taught, I've watched other interviews with you, by the way, in case you're wondering where I get some of this information, but, and I know that you've talked a lot about having written the comments yourself. But the thing mm. is, is I spent, I've spent lately ever since COVID a lot of time on YouTube. I didn't used to do that, but, um, but I, but your movie, it, it really does get that kind of weird anonymous comment behavior down. So, perfectly and how cruel people can be. And I love that you don't back off from that. You say all the things that are offensive that people do say in the comment sections and that aren't policed and can't be because this is really just raw human nature in an anonymous sense. Scrolling, if you watch anything on YouTube that's that's streaming, live streaming or Twitch or anything, yeah. you get that comment scroll. And so it's it's you're already dealing with these two different realities. And so in Spree, they really capture that really well really well with the with the, the comments that pass poor Kurt <laughs> like he's just well yeah so Gene <laughs> I'm pretty sure we wrote you know we peppered our screenplay with a few comments throughout just sort of indicating <laughs> indicating to a reader of the script like what that would feel like a little bit um, but obviously you're not going to deluge your script that you're trying to raise money from with a shit ton of comments. <laughs> so, but I always knew that, you know, in the final product, that would be a really important element 
um, in the viewing experience because in case this isn't clear to anybody listening, the film is presented as a live stream, right? Kurt is, it's an almost real time diegetically presented live stream of him, you know, giving this tutorial on how to go viral. And so part of a live stream, like you're saying, is you have to have, if you have viewers, of course, you have to have, <laughs> um, and that fluctuates throughout the film, obviously, but um, you have to have comments. And those comments are, um, because of what you're saying, this wall of anonymity, quite um, relentless. And you know, when you have no repercussions for your naughty thoughts and naughty behavior, um, you will be as immoral or as you know like id oriented as possible um and so uh yeah i, I wrote most of those and um i was watching a lot of twitch you know um while i was doing it so that i you know got if, if i was ever at a loss for any sort of um vitriolic <laughs> petty um you know edgelordy content i was very easy to find on multiple twitch yeah. that I was on. And, and so that's one layer of reality which i am have to tell you that someday people are going to look back at our time and they're going to say wow this is so weird because in the culture everybody's sort of instagramming and virtue signaling and presenting themselves as like these good virtuous people and then in the under layer you're seeing all the like sort of animosity that comes out you know in a in on twitter and on in the in the comments but um but bobby let's just really quickly talk about bobby Basecamp because i think he's one of the best there's two other okay so there's there's kirk kunkel and then there's two other characters um in the film there's jesse uh played by sashir zamata jesse adams and then there is um bobby by joshua ovala Oh, how do yeah. you pronounce this? Josh Ovi. So, and uh, yeah, so where did you find him? Because he's so perfect. So Josh is was a really successful viner. He was really big on Vine. Um, he was actually suggested um, to me by the social media consultant that we did the Draw My Life with Honor. And I watched his vines, and it is so funny. And you know, Vine basically <laughs> disappeared, and you know, it was. It, it, uh, whatever in 2016 so but he was making YouTube videos and he was pretty big on Instagram and I just connected with him and we did an audition we did an audition like me and him literally it wasn't really through like the normal casting process I just said hey we just come over with your phone and he came over to my doorstep and I had one phone and he had another and we did the Kurt Bobby door interaction and he recorded it and I recorded it we did you know three takes I guess and I said, would you send that to me? And I edited it like that day. And I watched, I was like, well, this is amazing. He's amazing. He, because <laughs> no, you know, Josh is a sweetheart, you know, um, and he's not like one of these, um, you know, Logan Paul kind of like creating controversy, total jerk, like kind of egomaniacal influencer that he's portraying, but he understands that culture really well. And he like tuned into it really well. Um, right off the bat. And so I added it together. And that was another thing that wasn't just like an audition tape. It was something I sent to the producers. And I think I sent to you as well, Gene, and saying like, hey, the movie can look like this. Like this is a split, you know, in a normal movie, you cut back and forth between characters, whatever. Okay. Um, here, you, you know, the film has plenty of split screens, right? You have this sort of dialectical thing that a viewer naturally does as a technology user, right, looking at text and video and multiple things at the same time, but that we haven't really started to exploit in terms of our film viewing audience. And so the film is definitely an attempt to try to say, hey, 
there is a visual literacy going on here in our daily lives that we have not exploited at all in terms of our medium, in terms of narrative um, storytelling. And I mean, clearly there are practitioners of it like Brian De Palma and Peter Greenaway, and there are people who experimented with these things, maybe in a moment when it was kind of almost like not part of the normal literacy. And so it was kind of like a cool visual novel thing. But now that it is part of it, I mean, to not take advantage of it seems like you're not using all of the, um, you know, art, your entire arsenal. Um, Absolutely. And you're not jazzing up people to understand the, the magic and the, of cinema. Like this is still cinema. It's yeah. just that we're telling people that the only cinema that's acceptable is, you know, is on the big screen in the theaters. And we all love that. I grew up with movies like that. But at the same time, like this whole generation is evolving or outside of that to be looking at screens this is their media this this is their experience of you know of reality in a lot of ways and and so how do you get them to just turn it all off and sit in a dark theater whereas i think i, I don't think i've ever showed my daughter a movie that captured her attention from minute one like this movie and it held it all the way through to the end oh yeah i mean i think gene I was just gonna say, I often find myself when I'm watching movies at home, having my phone out and just kind of like messing around with it as I'm watching the movie. I um, know, right? I, you know, frankly, like the traditional way of making narrative films, it's it does feel like a little bit like not part of like the visual like tropes of 2020. But Spree, I was like really proud to like, you know, work with Eugene on this. I think that it does try to like keep up with like how our eyeballs move and like how our phones become such a part of our bodies, really. Um, and enabling like a new, and like, I love that you said that it's still cinematic. Like, I feel like it's um, not just like a novelty, it's advancing the language of cinema forward. Yeah, and, and there's a, I, I, I don't wanna talk about the spoiler, I don't wanna spoil it, but, but I do have to talk about one thing, which is this idea that um, we're kind of trapped in these worlds that we make. Because one of the characters, I guess, should I say who? Wants out, you know, and, and makes a showing of saying, sure. You well, know, I, think I, I think it's okay to just... No, yeah, I think it's important to talk about the Jesse Adams character that's the sheer yeah. plays. I think, you know, Gene and I, when we were calibrating, I, earlier Gene had said that um, Kurt is kind of partly like the hero and, you know, Jesse, at the end of the day, right, is really the hero, quote unquote, of a film. Now, when you make a satire, and hopefully no one is really heroic in a way. Um, but, you know, she has a probably the most sane attitude towards social media out of everyone. And still, if you took five steps back, she would seem insane. But she, she, at, least, she at least has a sort of healthy and um, critical approach to her relationship with social media, which, um, you know, might seem obvious for some people, but then again, which of us is strong enough to go off social media or to make a public lambast against this thing that provides your income? You know, in a, in a way, Jesse Adams, her catchphrase is all eyes on me. I want to be seen. That's what makes her famous, makes her popular, makes her make money. And so, you know, like there was like a vitriolic sort of pan of our film in the New York Times, which, oh. uh, you know, I'll sort of wear as a badge of honor, um, if only because it seemed very, like it missed the entire point. To criticize the film and say that it's making these obvious points against social media, and then to, you know, tweet out your review is, is literally, you know, missing the point. 
Um, oh, entirely. Like you said in an interview, you said this, this is here with us. To, you said it in a Sundance interview. So I guess that was before that whole stupid review. But, um, but the, uh, uh, whoever wrote that, I'm sorry, I'm not, I didn't mean to say stupid, but you know. Um, no, no, the, it just, it, I actually encourage people to check out the review because it is, seems so weirdly personal or something like that. And I was very upset by it when I woke up like the day before release. And it said things like, you know, the movie is like sick and psychotic and unfunny and and, and all of the characters are annoying. And I, I got it in the shower and I was like, you know, I could literally swap, I could do a copy find um, spree and swap out spree for Dr. Strangelove and it might sound the same. They're, all the characters are really annoying and it seems like sick a sick joke to make fun of nuclear Absolutely. holocaust. And then I looked up the review for Dr. Strangelove in the New York Times and it said the movie was sick and ghastly and unfunny. And I said, wow, I guess I'm on the right side. <laughs> exactly. And uh, <laughs> yeah. um, Psycho too, I think, didn't get the greatest reception. People just didn't get it. But, um, but, the, but the beautiful thing about Spree, I'm sorry to have to say, but you know, our culture is living through a really strange transitional time in terms of adapting to social media. And where some of us are taking it well and some of us aren't. And eventually there are gonna be the Jessies who, you know, she's a, she's a great character because, you know, we see Kurt through his own eyes of himself trying to tell this fake story about himself. And then we see him through our own judgmental eyes of who we think he is and who the filmmakers think he is and who, you know, trying to, and then we see him through Jessie's eyes, right? And so she, she sees him and that other guy, <laughs> the guy in the car, uh, in two different ways. Like her, her uh, she's judgmental of, of Kurt in a way, like she feels sorry for him. She pities him. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, but at the same time, she also has a compassionate view, right? And compassion is something that's missing across the board, I think, online. And that's what I like about her character. And you're watching that movie and you're thinking, there is no way she walks away from this without becoming a much bigger star, right? There's just not a spoiler alert, sorry. But I no, mean, no, because I mean, nobody I mean, would walk away from that, you know? Right, well, I mean, she, yeah, go on. I was just gonna say, particularly that moment at the very end where you can almost, you see the internal dialogue in her head, and I won't say what goes on, but she takes a selfie. That is a very important selfie at the very end of the film. <laughs> and you could just see, you know, she's sitting there thinking about it and she's, you know, torn as to whether or not to do it because that's what the comments tell her to do and she does it and then of course she goes off to be you know her yeah, the, her, the, her life has changed after that the coda of the film is like you know sort of balancing bookend to the opening montage right the opening montage is this sort of very vulnerable desperate and oblivious sort of amateurish look at someone attempting to go viral you know and not knowing how and then the coda of the film is the very much like, you know, kind of deconstruction and breakdown of how the official story, how the media would push a story out of like, who is the hero and who is the villain. And while on some levels that narrative is absolutely true, for, you know, Jesse is heroic and Kurt is deranged and villainous, it is also completely lacking any sense of criticism or about her and any sense of nuance about him. You know, and yeah. I, I think I, one thing I will say, uh, just to go back, 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 way back um, about the question of, you know, whether Kurt would do anything this horrific um, if social media didn't exist. Um, a really important part of like formulating the character with Joe is, especially for the first two acts, I would always tell him to ground it in tutorial mode. 
right? Because for Kurt, he always felt like he's helping people. And that's something Gene and I seized on when we were writing too, right? His approach to this is tutorial, shortcuts, tips, tricks. And that sort of mode of uh, thinking and presentation is um, regardless of content, right? I mean, here the content is homicidal rampage, but regardless of content, seems almost like a moral good. And so Joe grounding Kurt in that helpfulness is I think what makes the character really um, unique and disturbing and fun. Right. It's, Absolutely. It's and, and we only have a few minutes left, which is unfortunate. I'd love to do a much longer conversation with you guys at some point. But um, but, you know, there is this idea of the vicarious thrill that the viewer gets from watching some of these like terrible people, you know, get killed. And then you have to ask yourself like, wow, wow, that's a weird feeling. But it changes, of course. It doesn't stay that way. It's not like he's out there just killing bad people. You would never know, obviously. Um, I, I just I can't let it go without mentioning something that I think is just so brilliantly done. Um, it you know there's a moment in the film there's a tone change um and it's it's after he's i don't want to spoil it but he's he's working with a different audience let's say mm-hmm. so he's got he's got more viewers now <laughs> it's like up to fifty thousand viewers or something and you know you can watch the whole movie and you can watch how his comments and views and stuff change but um but when you know, the, when he asks his, his viewership, because he's finally got it, you know, wow, he finally achieved what he set out to do. And then they tell him to do something that's really horrible. And then to me, that's when the movie becomes, it, it, it goes to a different level of horror. It becomes like away from satire and a little more towards like a really dark horror movie. And, and I just, I wanted to tell you how much I, I really appreciated that uh, aspect of the storytelling. Yeah, I mean, I think, um... Right before that too, he like uh, hears Jesse's monologue, and he just he goes from being like, "I'm gonna kill everybody" to "I'm gonna love everybody." And he does it on a dime. <laughs> then, like killing people, he he's just so delusional and so lost that he like is just kind of switch what he's doing. He he just, I mean, kind of reminds me of Trump a little bit, like the way I he, was just thinking that because <laughs> um, it's just if there's no moral compass at all, it's just like right. what's going to get me attention and eyeballs and keep my kind of like narrative moving forward. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, and that's why I think that, you know, I think I really like that you're framing this as like something that's capturing 2020 in a way that 2020 is not ready for. Cause I think that there is like something about this moment that we're living in and just like, especially with the pandemic, we're all just all looking at screens all the time and just kind of like really like, lacking in empathy and we have this crazy guy as our president and uh and and you know here, here's kurt and i think he does capture like a lot of this yeah it, it's so good um hopefully we can do some more maybe another uh longer conversation at some point but um but thank our you guys is. and and um it was really it's a really good movie you should be really proud of it and, and don't listen Absolutely. to what the critics are saying they're working thanks, from a different you know you know who loves it is uh, people who don't read critics, which is, I think, people from the ages of like 14 to 25. <laughs> yeah, um, well, my daughter loves it. So yeah, no, <laughs> I do think young people, but you know why? Because young people are aware of it because we had the viral campaign to promote it and it was targeted specifically at teenagers and, you know, Zoomers and stuff. And so they're extremely aware of it. Now, if we had that awareness in other demos like millennials and like, you know, whatever Gen X and stuff, I think the movie would be a huge hit. It's just, uh, you know, it's a small film. So hopefully- It's a great movie and you you can follow- Yeah, Yeah. sorry to interrupt. I'm just gonna say you can follow Kurt's World 96. 
96. It's Kurt's World 96 on Instagram. He actually has one, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, and there's a lot of additional supplemental content there that uh, I made with Joe in character. It was just sort of like Blair Witch-esque marketing uh, sort of ploy. And I, that's where we got a lot of interested viewers. And so we really appreciate um, having the conversation with both of you because, yeah. um, you know, the more people that can see the film, the more conversations, you know, will be started about all of these um, issues, which I think maybe feel obvious to like coastal elite journalists, but actually are really necessary to discuss amongst our friends and our family and our peers and our enemies or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and last thing is that uh, Netflix has a movie called The Social Dilemma. And I feel like these two movies are kind of you know, skimming the surface of, of what's going to be a deep dive in the next 10 years of figuring all this stuff out. So thank you. And it was nice talking to you guys and good luck. Thank you so best. much. And congratulations on the film. It's really great. Thanks really very great. much. All right. Bye.